Myers in that? Not Tibetan. Okay. I know the Pali ones. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say it this part once. And this one three times. Okay. Great. Thank you. Good. Thank you guys. how it goes, I, the, whoever's the omze or leading it says the first word first. Do you know this part? Yeah. And then they kind of like set the pace in the same with the second, third, and fourth verses. Sashi puki chukshing me tok chong ling shin yin Sangi sing do make wargi Jokun amdak sing la chubarsho Yedam guru radna mandalakam niryatayami Sangi chudang soki choknam la Jangchu vardu dakni kapsuchi Daki chenyengi pe sunam ki Jola penshir sangye juparsho Sangye chudang soki choknam la Jangchu vardu dakni kyapsuchi Daki chenyengi pe sunam ki Jola penshir sangye druparsho Sangye chudang soki choknam la Jangshu vardu dakni kyapsuchi Daki chenyen gipe sunam ki Jola penshir sangye druparsho So we'll come right into a meditation. And with the prayers are really requesting the teachings. You know, that they land. Asking for the blessings of the lineage. And we're really just arriving with our opening meditation. Getting the sense that you're releasing whatever you're carrying from the day. Releasing the hold on the future. And even what's happening right now. Letting the discursive mind take a rest. Entering the physical body. Starting with the crown of the head and just slowly at your own pace scanning down your body and feeling the power of your awareness release the tension anywhere that you come across it. 
allowing anything to unwind that's ready to now. You don't have to push or feel like you have to freeze all of a sudden. The breath's still flowing at its natural pace. There's still movement in the body from the breath. Once you've scanned all the way down the body, letting your awareness rest with the rhythm of the breath. And that can be wherever you feel it most, maybe at the chest. Could be the whole body, tip of the nose, the abdomen. as though you're just relaxing on a warm sandy beach watching the breath go by. You have to be tight with the focus. Your physical body stay relaxed and soft. mind grabs onto some thought or feeling or memory, just relaxing, coming back to open, spacious awareness. Naturally, this will happen. It's no big deal. It's what the mind does. Bring your attention back to the breath.
for the last few moments, bring your focus as clear and bright as you can, ending on a high note. Once you have that, you can make a dedication and the eyes start to move when you're ready. surgery today so I believe that's where she is so just sending good wishes to her and her grandma I don't know what the surgery was Yeah, somewhere close. She usually goes and visits her like once a week, I think. They're, they're pretty close. All right. So we're on week nine of ten. Um, Anand, is that how you say it? Anand. Anand? Yeah. Do you know Cheryl? Hi. Cheryl. And you know Sarah, maybe. <laughs> I think we, yeah, I, I first thought you were him, but I, but then you said you were only with her for a year, so I was like, that's fine. <laughs> so I live here. So nope. Oh, okay. He's DJing on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, Matt? Qigong? Yes, that was meditation, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you know Sarah from Retreat, mm. right? Okay. Um, I don't know, how much have you studied Buddhism? I'm wondering, like... Like I said, I'm friends with Buddhists. I, like, sit in on a lot of Buddhism classes. Okay, yeah. so I probably don't need to, like, extra explain a lot of things, but if there's things I'm talking about that you're like, what, it, what is that, then just ask. Okay. I don't think there will be. Do you need me to flip slides for you? Mm -mm. No, okay. I have a little flip uh, clipper. Uh, clipper. <laughs> the clicker. <laughs> Um, so we're on, okay, we're on class 9 of 10, and are you familiar with Geshe Michael Roach? I know who he is, but I don't, I studied with him. Okay, so these are courses that he taught, and I'm basically teaching what he taught, and then we have like our own discussion, cool. but we're going through 18 courses, and this is, what is this, course 10, yeah, this is course 10 out of 18. And we're on class 9 out of 10 in this course. Mm -hmm. So we're going through all of them. And this course is on a guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life. Uh, mm -hmm. The text, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of Tibetan centers are doing that text like, for the last two years or something. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Since we just happened to land on it at this time. Yeah. Um, maybe it's more needed in like the social climate that we have currently. So course nine or class nine of perfecting generosity, how to become a bodhisattva. And it's Wednesday, March 6, 2019. And tonight we're going to talk about recollection, watchfulness, and freezing. Very exciting. And guess what we're going to start with? <laughs> Review time. <laughs> Everybody's favorite time of class. <laughs> you guys know some of these, though. You do. Okay. Maybe Anna knows, too. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. He just says no. <laughs> um, okay, so what is the root text in Tibetan first? I bet you guys have got to know some of it, I bet. Can you say the first word? Jongchub. Yeah. Jongchub. Uh huh. It sounds like you're about to say it. It's catchy. Uh huh. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> so, Jongchub Senpei Chupa La Jukpa. And does anyone know it in Sanskrit? It has the, like, the main word of what we're studying is the first word. Yay, Cheryl! Good job! Bodhisattva Charya Avatara. Yeah. And who is this by? Who's the author? Oh my gosh, I just have it. Remember? Master Shanti David. Master Shanti David. Peace God. And then the commentary that we're studying is by um, one of Jason Kappa's main disciples, who's on his right, our left. Like, what are we studying in general? A general term for what we're studying. Starts with a D. Yeah. Guilds of J, Dharma. It's not the same Dharma, but it's. Charya? Rinchen. Guilds of J, Dharma, Rinchen. And then this, this one's kind of hard, but so he wrote the commentary. What's the commentary in Tibetan? This is that weird one? Yeah. It's like, Gyalse Juknok. Gyalse Juknok. Yeah. And then what is it in English? I know you guys know this part. It's, it's a really sweet title, like, like all the titles of the text. Entry point. <laughs> for children of the victorious Buddhas. Yes. Entry point for children of the victorious Buddhas. Which is code word for what? Bodhisattvas? Yep. So children of the victorious Buddhas, code word for bodhisattvas. Which is really sweet. I love the, the translations of all of 
the titles of these texts are so sweet and beautiful. Entry point for children of the victorious Buddhas. Okay, so, as I mentioned, we'll be going over uh, recollection and watchfulness called Drempa and Sheshin. So after you take your vows, this is how you keep them. Say Drempa. Drempa. And Sheshin. Sheshin. Drempa. Drempa. Sheshin. Sheshin. Recollection and watchfulness. So you must have these two of recollection and watchfulness in order to think and act like a bodhisattva. And we'll go, we're going to go into these a lot more in depth. So drempa is the antidote for the second obstacle to meditation. What do you think that would be? Recollection. So what would it be the antidote for? Kind of. Forgetting. Like forgetting the object altogether. Mm-hmm. So kind of that. You just go off on another tangent. What's the difference between recollection and mindfulness? Um, recollection, you're, we'll go into it more, but it's like you're remembering what you're supposed to be thinking about. Oh, okay. And mindfulness is more like, you know, paying attention paying in a certain attention. way. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. so is it like clear comprehension? Not necessarily, because okay. it's just remembering. You might not clearly understand it that well, but you're remembering, oh, I'm supposed to be, like in meditation, oh, I'm supposed to be meditating on this right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're forgetting the object altogether. Drempa is the antidote for that. Um, it's where you've completely gone off on another tangent, which I'm sure none of us have any experience with. It's not in your mind anymore at all. You think about what you're going to do that day, uh, what you're going to eat, who you're going to see later, argument we, that you had with somebody, but you're, you're totally not on the object of meditation. And then drempa is the opposite. It's holding the object in your mind without losing it. And you could do this even in your day-to-day life. You decide, we'll talk about this later tonight too, but you decide that you're going to focus on some object or some practice as you're walking around. It doesn't have to be a meditation. We're just using that as an example. So you think, I'm going to work on um, generosity today. And then you remember that all day, throughout your day, in your mind. So you're not forgetting, and then by the end of the day, thinking, oh, I was going to think about generosity today, but I didn't do it once. I just thought I was, I planned it in the beginning of the day. I totally spaced, and then I remembered at the end. So drempa would be you're remembering the whole day, and you're practicing generosity in whatever way you could, which could be um, just listening to somebody. It could be giving some material thing or giving somebody the benefit of the doubt like any form you could think of of generosity. And then recollection is holding a virtuous object in your mind and not losing it. So 
So this refers to recollecting several specific things. And we're going to talk about this in relationship to the three jewels. So the three different things, one would be recollecting your ultimate goal to become fully enlightened, which would be a good thing to remember throughout the day if that's your ultimate goal. Recollecting your virtuous practice for the day, which could be what we were just talking about, practice of um, generosity. And recollecting the three close recollections, which are um, what we're going to go over right now, which are the three jewels. So the first close recollection is the Buddha jewel. And I don't think we think about this one very much. Um, mainly thinking about the qualities of Buddha and what, like, what is the Buddha like? What qualities do they have? Usually we think of the historical Shakyamuni Buddha who has maybe long ears and a bump on top of his head, and you know he's he's from a long time ago. So something or someone that's completely out of the norm for us. That's usually probably how we think of it. But we can also think about the two bodies of the Buddha: the mental body and the physical body. So he has two types of physical bodies. And the reason that we want to try to reach the bodies of a Buddha is because he doesn't have the same trajectory that we seem to in our life, which is basically um, getting sick, getting old, and dying, you know, in whatever order. That's not the trajectory of a Buddha's life. Our life, that's what's happening. We have ups and downs. Um, good things happen, bad things happen. We get sick. At a certain point, we get sick, we don't get better. We die. We go through barter. We have to do it all over again. So getting out of that cycle completely is where Buddha is. We're completely free of death, old age, sickness, which almost, at least in my mind, I don't know, I can't read your mind, but in my mind, it's almost unimaginable to not have those things. <laughs> like, never, you never get sick. You're never unhappy. Really, what would that be like? Never jealous. Um, no mental affliction ever again. It's really radical. We, we talk about it a lot because we're, you know, part of a Buddhist center. But I don't think we always think about how radical it is because it's completely opposite of our lives, of anything that we know. You know, like we know the Dharma and we're able to practice it, which is huge, and we'll get to that point. But, you know, kind of through familiarity, you just get used to hearing something and then it's, it almost gets discounted in your mind. So it's good to think of, okay, what are the qualities of this type of being that I'm trying to become? Maybe you're already that type of being. I know I'm not. And the reason that we're getting old, we're going to get sick, we're going to die, 
is because of the forces that have created this life. It's the seeds that planted this life that are pushing us towards that. And a Buddha's body is completely created by something else. And we, ta- we call it the two collections. And at the end of class, the prayers that we do are praying that everybody gets these two collections, which is really nice and sweet. And so the point of Buddhism is to do this, is for all of us to become fully awakened, to become a Buddha, an enlightened being ourselves. The point of Buddhism is not to reduce stress or make crappy situations a little bit better or something like that. That is not the point of Buddhist practice. It's much more radical. It's to get completely off of the cycle of suffering. No more sickness, no more old age, no more death. That's the point. And if you hear watered down versions, you now, I mean, you, you guys know that that's not the, that's not the point. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, um, I think it was Lama Maru who said this. It's like you have a Lamborghini um, and you, you just use it on weekends to drive to the corner store and back. It's like you have this amazing machine that is capable of going really fast, um, doing amazing things, but you just like drive it around the corner and then home. That's, that's the same as taking the Buddhist practice and just trying to reduce suffering a little bit. It's like not the point and it's completely selling, selling yourself short and also kind of um, well, totally missing the point of the practice too, <laughs> really, yeah. So it has this huge, great potential. And along the way, all of our stresses start to get less and less as well. But um, why not have the ultimate goal in mind all the time, if we can? Because that's what, that's what we really want to get towards. And along the way, the other things will come too. So a Buddha's body and their paradise that they live in are not born by karma as ours are. So like we were saying, their body doesn't get old, it doesn't get sick, and they don't die. And that's what we're trying to reach. And then the second kind of body, the second kind of body of the Buddha that you get, Geshe Michael says about one millisecond after enlightenment, is the Nirmanakaya. And this is the body you send out to other planets to help people, which is amazing. So you can actually, as a Buddha, we can actually help people, which is what we really want to do all the time. But when we're finally enlightened, we're able to do it. And it's, it's no effort. These bodies are just sent out spontaneously. You don't have to look down on Earth and say, oh, look, Heather's having a tough time. I'm going to send out you know, an emanation body to help her with something. It's just automatic. You're helping countless beings in countless realms, countless worlds, countless universes. And you know exactly how to help them, too. So it's not like myself, where I'm just guessing and half the time I make the situation worse. 
Sometimes I'm kind of on point. <laughs> and the rest of the time, people just want to make me feel better. And so they say, okay, thank you. <laughs> so the Buddha's body that we think of, that classic Shakyamuni Buddha's body, that's the classic Nirmanakaya. And that shows up once on our planet. And then the unclassic Nirmanakaya can look like anything. Anything at all, a bridge, um, the sun, anyone around us, a lamp, stairs, literally anything. So it's possible that everyone in this room is a Nirmanakaya. You can appear as, the Nirmanakaya can appear as the wind or an ocean pet, delicious chocolate cake, oh, <laughs> and then the mental element of the Buddha is to know all things, past, present, and future in one moment, so just thinking about the amazing gravity of that, past, present, and future everything that there is in one moment, which is very useful for teaching people. So you can see exactly what effect something that you say to someone is going to have on them, where it's going to bring them. So one half of Drempa uh, means keeping your mind on the goal. So you have to keep your mind on what you want to become, walking around thinking, I'm going for the ultimate goal. I want to have omniscience. I want to have a body in paradise, uh, the ability to emanate countless bodies to help all beings. That's what I'm going for. That's the goal. So walking around thinking that, I'd like to be able to serve people in that way. And if you have your refuge vows, those actually require you to think about it six times a day, which is what the, the six times a day book practice helps to do. So where you're tracking your vows or morality or it could be other practices that you're doing six times a day. Are you familiar with that? So it's like you, um, you have like a, a little notebook that you carry around. It could be for anything. Um, do you guys have vows in... Awesome. So, not, our, not, our not in your school? Not our school, no. Okay, so um, it's usually for vows, and you divide up the page in six different sections, and then you put one vow in each little section just so you know that you're keeping them, and you put a plus, a minus, and a to do. So, how did I keep this vow? Did I come close to breaking it in any way? And then maybe a makeup activity. Or it could be, I'm focusing on generosity, so I'm going to check in with generosity six times a day. How was I generous? Where was I not? And um, how can I remedy what, where I wasn't? Mm -hmm. So you're walking around thinking about the ultimate goal. And then also remembering the Buddha's emptiness and your emptiness. And this emptiness 
functions to allow you to become a Buddha. So what does that mean? If, if we were, if I was self-existently the way I am, which I see myself as not an enlightened being, you know, going through difficulties, going through good times, up and down, getting older, if I was stuck that way, which is what self-existent means, I could not transform into a Buddha. I couldn't, I couldn't one day um, have planted the karmic seeds that ripen to see myself as a body of light who's able to emanate to countless worlds, um, living in a Buddha paradise. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't work like that because I'd be stuck the way I am. That's what self-existent means. I could not transform into something different. So that's why emptiness is important because anything is possible. If things are completely empty of existing in the way they seem to exist from their own side, then they can be anything. So my karmic seeds are forcing me to see whatever my reality is right now. They're forcing me to see, um, you know, flesh, I'm not looking down and seeing uh, like a radiant body of light. So at a certain point, I can have different seeds that force me to see something different. We're not choosing. I'm not choosing in the moment to see myself this way. So the same thing with the Buddha. If the Buddha didn't have any emptiness, then the Buddha's mind couldn't have the seeds to force him to see himself the way he does. He would still be a normal guy. I mean, I guess he was a normal prince. So the emptiness is what allows you to become a Buddha, but it doesn't mean that there's um, like a, a Buddha hiding inside of you or something like that. Buddha nature basically means your mind has its own emptiness. And if you had really good karma and could look at your mind, with really good karma, you would look at your mind and you would see omniscience. You would see that knowing the past, present, future, all in one moment. So you'd be able to see that. Or you could have medium karma and have the mind of a Buddha, or a Buddha, <laughs> of a human, or not so great karma, and you have the mind of a bug. So which one we see is up to our, our karmic seeds that we've planted from the past. And when our mind shifts, or the karmic seed shift, then our reality shifts. And that's what happens every time things change or move. Even just like my hand moving like this, that's what's happening. And this, so this is why the emptiness of a Buddha is important. And it's kind of interesting, is there anything about you or me that is gonna be the same when we reach enlightenment? And basic, you know, basically, no, there's not. Everything changes. <laughs> but the emptiness of your mind, that's, that doesn't change. That's what, they, that's what people say um, is Buddha nature. 
So we better have emptiness, that emptiness of our mind, or we can never go from what our mind is now to the mind of a Buddha. And that's the main refuge, the main refuge of the Buddha jewel. And it, so the emptiness of the Buddha's mind is really the coolest part of the Buddha because it's how we can become a Buddha. And that we have that emptiness now. So as you're walking down the street, you recollect the Buddha. And then it may be good also to recollect your future Dharmakaya or the emptiness of your own mind. We might go over all three, then take a break, but maybe we'll just go over the second. Okay, so the second close recollection is the Dharma jewel. And the most important aspect of this jewel is um, the direct perception of emptiness. And we're still talking about practicing throughout your day. As you're walking down the street, you're recollecting the quality of seeing emptiness directly. So to whatever the highest um, understanding that we have of this at that time. So thinking about how does the world, my highest understanding of how the world truly is working. That my mind is putting together different parts, labeling them a certain way. And then if I go down and down and down a level trying to find the self-existent part, we won't ever find one. So there's that, that meditation that you can do as well. And this is the ultimate protection. The direct perception of emptiness is what can really protect you. And then the third close recollection is um, of the Sangha Jewel. So what is the Sangha? Norm so nominally, it's anyone wearing robes. Um, but ultimately, it's those beings who have seen emptiness directly, which are called Aryas. And we're still, still talking about what we're thinking about when we're walking around during the day. As we're walking around, we're thinking of those who have seen emptiness. There are all these beings who have reached this goal. And maybe we see some of those beings in our lives. You can think of the, all of the masters that have come before. So there's all these beings that have actually reached the goal of the practice that I'm doing. So we're walking down the street. We're remembering the final ultimate goal, which is enlightenment the emptiness of a Buddha, the direct perception of emptiness, and those people who have seen it directly. And this is the ultimate recollection, thinking about the various aspects of emptiness. And then there's another kind of recollection which isn't the ultimate, which is the kind of recollection you would choose 
where you would choose your virtuous activity for the day, like we mentioned before, like generosity or giving. And then you dream of that and keep it in the back of your mind and recollect it all day long. And it's really good to get in the habit of making that daily practice really specific. So you pick one thing and keep it on your mind as a practice until you get really good at it. And I mean, even through one of these courses, there's so many amazing practices that you learn, which is a huge blessing. It's really amazing. Um, and if we don't focus on any of them, we're not going to learn any of them. So we have to focus on one at a time. You know, may maybe two if we're doing meditation, daily meditation on one thing, and then through the day we're focusing on something else. Maybe. But trying to focus on one thing at a time until we get really good at it, until it sinks in maybe a month, a month and a half is when we start to get a little stale on it. And then we cycle through to something else. And as we go through these practices and they start to sink in, and they don't really go away once we're done for the month and a half, we come back to it another time and then go deeper and deeper and deeper with it. And this, this advice might be the most useful for us in our society because we, we have so many different practices. We can practice Tang Wen, we can practice Six Perfections, um, we can focus on our Bodhisattva vows, we can practice Lojong, so many things. And the habit of Americans is that we have so many Dharma teachings that we don't practice any of them. And we get overwhelmed and then on top of that, some people get three or four or ten tantric initiations. And then the small practice time that we have starts to become like our lives completely scattered <laughs> and totally unfocused. And so what Master Shanti Deva says is you can't do two things at once. Pick one and carry it to its end. And Geshe Michael's personal advice is what I was mentioning before. One to one and a half months is a good amount of time. So you need to balance going, into, going in depth with something, um, but not letting it dry up so much where it's uninteresting. So you can kind of judge, judge on your own. And then you stop it for a little bit and go to a different one. And it's really difficult to keep Drempa so... Master Shanti Deva is really adamant about this. You stay with it until you get good at it, and then you go on to another one with the practices. So you don't want to have um, huge variety within like one hour session in the morning. And, and mostly, I see this too, mostly Americans either don't do our practice at all or we try to do 10 or like 15 practices at once and it's just too much. And then you fail either way. Mm. So that's why it's really helpful to have a teacher too. They'll focus you and um, get you on track. And I find with meditations, like when we're talking about drempa throughout the day, I need, I need variety more often. But with meditations, I can stick with one for a lot longer. Maybe 
maybe six months, maybe longer until, you know, something starts to dry out and something needs to shift. So when you notice your practice, like, arriving at that moment of shifting, do you, do you just notice it and say, oh, it's time to move on to another practice? Yeah, if you're, work, if you're working with a teacher or if you have someone that you can ask, um, I'd suggest talking to them, asking them, like, okay, it's starting to feel, my practice is starting to feel a little dry. What do you suggest? Should I move on to something different? Do you think I should stay with this? And sometimes they'll say, stay with it. Usually, like, Lamami, if I say that to her, she'll usually say, why don't you do this instead? Um, but there, but it is different than, like, not, there is a point where we're switching too soon, too, like, where we're just kind of, the mind gets, like, maybe a little bit bored with doing the same thing, but we're still getting a lot from the practice, mm -hmm. so that's where a teacher can help and say, you know, no, uh, stay with this for another week, and then go on to this one, or, you know, yeah, it's time to switch, and I think this would be good for you. Or you can say, I was thinking of going to this practice. What do you think? Should I do that? So that's where it's really helpful to have somebody like that that you can go and ask. And it doesn't have, it can be, it can even be like a Dharma brother or sister that um, you trust their opinion. If they're, it doesn't have to be, you know, ultimately it's good to have a close relationship with someone who you see as a master. But if you don't have someone like that, then someone who you trust and you know they've studied a lot and y you, can, you think they can guide you, then that's, that's helpful too. And some people um, don't see their teachers that often too, depending on how famous or how much they're in retreat or traveling or living in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Not to name any names. I mostly just I mostly just ask Lama me really, um, because she makes herself available, so I can um, write her a letter right now, and or if she's in retreat and something big comes up, almost always I can get a hold of her somehow, maybe through Mark or. I could uh, I can email if I need to, and usually she'll like check email once in a while, or Mark will be checking or something like that. Okay, let's see what else do we need to cover before we take our break. Okay, so we talked about two different types of Drempo where where you're making giving the theme of your day, or where you're keeping in mind the ultimate goal, which is, which is higher and it should always be in the, in the back of your mind, but both of them are useful and good to do. And so you're, if you have commitments, doesn't mean you're dumping all of those commitments and like jumping ship and going into something else. You would just do the minimum for those commitments and then you would add on the practice of um, 
recollecting generosity or remembering, remembering the ultimate goal, something like that. Even when you're changing your meditation in the morning, you're not dumping any commitments that you have. You're shortening those and you're, you're adding something else. So you can scale your commitments down to the minimum necessary usually. Okay, last little bit. So what's the difference between Drempa and Sheshin? So say Drempa again. Drempa. Sheshin. Sheshin. Drempa. Drempa. Sheshin. Sheshin. Okay. So Drempa is that you're keeping the object in front of you. And Sheshin is watchfulness. It's the part of the mind that's like a watchdog or an alarm. Sheshin rings the alarm, then Drempa or when Drempa's about to lose the object. Shashin's like, hello, hello. Like, you know, like ringing the alarm. Drempa, you're about to lose, you know, you're losing the object. And when you lose the object, Shashin hasn't been doing its job very well. Okay. I think we'll stop here and take a break, and then we'll come back. And we have lots of snacks. It smelled like snacks when I walked in. Here. Okay. okay.